When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. Recently, I've been doing a lot of shifting around of the rituals and routines in my life, especially since a new season is opening up, and just adjusting the rhythms of life, the things that keep you grounded, that help you stay sane, that recharge you. And I thought, what a better way to revisit that topic than to revisit this conversation I had with Brooke McCallery, the host of the Slow Home podcast, when we talked about her book, Destination Simple, Everyday Rituals for a Slower Life. And no matter how fast or slow your life may feel like it is happening right now, I want to go back to revisiting that sense of control or what limited control we have over our rituals, our routines, the small building blocks of habits and next steps and next actions that compile like bricks into building something good. That's where I'm at. And if that's where you're at, you're going to get something great out of this conversation with Brooke McCallery. This week, it is my privilege to welcome back to the show, Brooke McCallery. Brooke, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Eric. Thanks for having me back. This has been a long time coming. I wanted to have you sooner, but uh, uh, you know, you had other things that you were working on, like, say, a podcast. And, <laughs> and, and a lot of people really enjoyed the last time you were on. And it was one of those episodes that it was very much in the vein of... I don't want to say minimalism because that's not quite appropriate, though mm-hmm. some of it fits. Uh, it, it it also has a lot to do with resting and having the appropriate, I don't know, balance, but that's also not a word mm-hmm. you use. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's just let's just say this. You're you are someone who wrestles and expresses appreciation for the lost art of doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The lost art of doing nothing is one that I would like to see more of us regain. <laughs> but, you know, I have to apologize. I don't, <laughs> I, I wrestle with those exact same issues. <laughs> of, I can't say balance because I'm not, I don't jive with balance and I'm not necessarily talking about minimalism. So <laughs> it's like, what am I talking about? Yeah. Will be revealed. Well, well, let's talk about that whole balance thing because it's not a thing mm-hmm. for you. Ba- balance to you is like saying there is an even, and, and this is a retread, by the way. There's an old episode uh, where we talk about this, and you talk about tilting instead mm-hmm. of uh, balancing. Let's talk about where you got the inspiration for that because, again, even if people have heard this before from that old episode, I think it's well worth sharing again. I guess the inspiration came from a few strange places, but – I have a slack line in I can't remember if I actually mentioned this in our last chat, but I have a slack line in our backyard. Yeah. Uh, And I spend time balancing on my slack line, you know, so it's basically a a tightrope, you know, strung between two low points in our backyard. And it's just great fun exercise and it's good for, good for balance and good for, you know, concentration and core strength, all those sorts of things. And 
I would spend this time on my slack line trying to balance and I realized how exhausting balancing, the act of balancing was, you know, trying to maintain this even placement, I guess, of all areas of my body uh, over this center point in order to keep me upright. And if I shifted too far one way, if I shifted too far the other way, I would fall which is fine because it's like 30 centimetres off the ground. That's not, not a big deal. But it got me thinking about this notion of balance in life, you know, the wider idea of work-life balance and why it it is so exhausting and it's like a, a, a race we can never win, but it's a race that we feel like we have to be a part of. Uh, and I realised that trying to have this equal placement of energy and time and attention over all areas of our life in order to remain balanced was exhausting because most of our energy was actually going into the out of the balance rather than the focus or the presence on the one area that we needed to be paying attention to. I came across this idea of tilting um, in a blog post on Sarah Wilson's blog, actually, and then she was referencing a a study taken in 2009 um, about women who are able to claim contentment or success as a personal sort of trait that they could see, not in terms of an external trait. And they all spoke in some way or another about this idea of tilting into where they needed to be, which is willfully choosing to not be balanced. You know, if they needed to be with their family, they chose to be fully with their family and ignore the other things that were happening. And similarly, if they needed to tilt into a busy period of work, they tilt into that understanding that the other areas of their life aren't going to get attention in that moment. And what they realized is they're actually more productive in those times of tilting because they were all present, all in, paying attention. And then they were able to tilt into other areas much more easily without guilt or that kind of, you know, that, that, that balance hangover, I guess, of not being everything to everyone. And for me, that's what it came down to. It's this idea that we cannot possibly be everything to everyone all the time. Yet that's what this notion, I guess, of work-life balance particularly day-to-day work-life balance or just life balance is trying to get us to do. Uh, And so for me, I think the the idea with balance, and I'm not against it, but step back, you know, pull back about six months. So you've got a bird's eye view of your life and ask yourself, over the last six months, over the last week, over over the last four weeks, do I feel like I've been serving all the main important areas in my life? Well, not on a day-to-day level and for me there's that longer term view of balance has just released me from so much stress and anxiety and and concern and guilt that I wasn't doing well enough by everything in my life does that make sense it totally makes sense and and yeah. as you were describing that it hit me that we should not be surprised that tilting works better than balancing because think about it even in a in a micro way we are most productive or most mindful, more most present even when we tilt all in on one thing and then t- tilt the other way all in on something else. Like I'm, I'm thinking specifically, obviously, work-life balance is always the phrase that's used in substitute of this. And think about the two components of that, uh, work or life. Now, life is so broad. Most people mean family. They mean Mm. being home and spending time with family versus being at work and, you know, hustling or whatever. (laughs) And we are at our best 
when we are fully present in whichever of those scenarios we are in. We're not in both of them at the same time trying to balance it. We're mm-hmm. in work mode or we're in family mode and we're better for it and our family or our work is better for it, right? Absolutely. You know, and we talk about flow and trying to find these these moments of productivity and uh, and then we kind of put ourselves in a, a situation where we allow ourselves constant distraction, you know, but I'm like, if we just tilt into writing the thing or doing the thing or playing with the kids or cooking the thing, you know, we would be all in and we wouldn't be suffering from that constant, where am I, you know, division, I guess, of attention. And yeah, if your if your goal, even if your goal is productivity, you're not worried about the rest of it. That's the answer anyway. You know, it's just kind of being all in and focusing on what you're doing so that you can then move on. And that's kind of how you get through your your day and through your workload, whatever that may look like. I think this is a great overarching theme in a way because this really is an example of how to fully experience what it is you're doing at the time you're doing it with Mm -hmm. intentionality, which is a lot of what you talk about. It is. Yeah. I think if we're going to use one word, it's just intention, you know, choosing to be somewhere and and choosing your actions and yeah, really, really dialing into that. And I think that's, I mean, that's really what tilting is in at its core. It's just being intentional with your time and your attention. Then you kind of go into a lot of other places. You Again, I used that word uh, minimalism or minimal earlier, which isn't quite right. And and again, for a lot of people, minimalism is about stuff. And, mm-hmm. and it's specifically, it's about getting rid of things and then saying, okay, I'm better. But uh, even, <laughs> even Joshua Becker, who I had on recently, like, that's just not the case. Exactly. And I like what Joshua talks about quite regularly. And um, I can't remember if it was him or someone else, someone else, but they said, you know, you could get rid of all of your excess clutter and still be unhappy or still be, you know, unproductive or whatever it is that's blocking you. It's not the answer. For me, it was the beginning of learning to be more intentional with my time, my attention, my family and all the other, all, like my money, everything. Um, but for me, minimalism is actually about the opposite of stuff. It's about life. It's about living. It's about having the time and the space and the ability and the desire to experience more. And I think often stuff gets in the way of that because we have to work to pay for it. We have to work to maintain it. We have to maintain it. We have to dust it. We have to pack it. We have to store it. You know, we have to do all these things with our stuff. And I, I own things, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not a hardcore minimalist, but uh, I think it's a really healthy thing to, I guess, recalibrate our relationship with our things occasionally and to start to remove those layers of excess just to give ourselves some space, you know, because I think from space comes things like margin in our days and buffer in our in the way that we think. I know personally that once I started to declutter my, and I didn't expect this, my mental state changed. All of a sudden I wasn't quite so reactionary. I wasn't quite so you know, so so likely to snap or shout at my kids or, you know, have an argument with my husband. I just had this this small extra amount of buffer of space in my days and in, in my head. And for me, the benefits of simplifying physically are everything that isn't stuff related. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of like stripping things down to the bare essentials, the stuff that, mm. you know, most matters. And then once you're at that point, savoring it, you know? Exactly. Enjoying it. You know, we we recently 
inherited a secondhand um, record player from my parents. And that has been the most enjoyable thing. Yeah, technically, I didn't need it. You know, if I was a, a hardcore minimalist, I can't carry it in my backpack. Um, it goes well above and beyond 100 items, like that kind of stuff. But it is so enjoyable. And I think that's the thing. You you have the ability and the permission and the space to actually enjoy the things that you own and the experiences that you choose to have in your day-to-day life. And they don't need to be big, fancy things either. They can just be everyday things. Uh, I often use the example of hanging out the clothes, um, you know, on the clothesline uh, every morning. I find that a really genuinely beautiful experience, whereas five years ago I felt like it was drudgery, <laughs> you know, but it's just giving yourself this, the permission to find tiny moments of peace or enjoyment where you otherwise would be rushing through or too overwhelmed to actually notice them. I don't want to talk about that because that's very much a single tasking uh, yes. item there. But before we go there, I want to ask you this because I think it makes sense to to frame it or give it some context first. The word rituals, what is your definition mm. of that word? Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's it's essentially something that you do in a day-to-day way that is elevated in some way. You know, there's a lot of there's often a lot of spiritual connotations to rituals, uh, but for me it's about ritualizing maybe even a mundane task and elevating it just that level or two to give it that sense of importance and it anchors it in your day. And I think when you have a handful of really simple rituals in your day, it's I guess it's it's self care in one way, but it also tells you as you're doing it, this is important. You know, this is this is something that deserves your attention. And no, don't rush through it. Take the extra one minute to to savor it. Take the extra time to, you know, look around or take three deep breaths or whatever it may be. And I think that having those small rituals brings a sense of mindfulness to your day without having to sit there and practice mindfulness, you know. It really brings, yeah, I guess a, cent- a center or an anchor to your day. What are some examples of rituals that people may not realize can, or, or what are some examples of things that can become rituals or we can turn into rituals to en- endow some sort of task uh, with meaning? Or what are some of your favorite rituals for that matter? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it can be almost anything, really. I think anything that you find enjoyable or that when you do it, you're like, that felt good. Why don't I do that more? Um, it does but my for me, soul it's, good to do that thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's maybe switching on um, our awareness to that first is a really good step to start paying attention to those things that we that do our soul good, you know. Uh, but for me, as I mentioned before, it's hanging out the laundry. There's something really lovely about the sun on my back, you know, the I hang the clothes under a big tree and it's looking up throughout the seasons and seeing the color change of the leaves throughout that. It's just a moment of noticing that it grounds me in my day, in my morning. Another one is having a cup of tea um, early in the morning. So I'll get up, have a quick shower, I'll do a bit of yoga and have a cup of tea and meditate for 10 minutes. And that is probably the most vital part of my day in terms of rituals because without it, I may not fall to pieces, but I can tell on those days that I haven't done that. I can tell the days that I've slept in or, you know, have have found myself doing other things. Uh, But so anything, I mean, it could be stopping at midday to have 10 deep breaths 
And if you just elevate that beyond a thing that you do to a ritual, just and it's just changing the language that we use, it becomes important and it becomes a, an integral part of your day that you can look forward to and you can understand that you're resetting yourself or you're bringing yourself back to being more present. Um, you know, my husband plays golf and that's his ritual of, of self-care. And he does that once a week. And, you know, so anything that, that brings light to you or your, you know, your, your day. But I mean, we've got two kids. So every night we sit at the dinner table together and have dinner and we ask each other, what was the favorite part of your day? Everyone goes around and shares their favorite part of their day. We also ask, what was your not favorite part of the day? And it's amazing the things that come out of that conversation, but it's just, I think the the ritual and the security that the kids get as well, that we will have that conversation. They will always have our attention and time to talk with us. Uh, and I think you can extend the idea of ritual to to boundaries and things like that as well. But there are a few examples of what I do. Uh, one of the, the things I think, one of the rituals that probably shifted so much for me <laughs> uh, over the years is morning pages. And I'm not practicing them at the moment as I used to, but I would get up, uh, and instead of doing yoga, I would do my morning pages and it would be, you know, the three free written, handwritten, uh, long form pages of complete stream of consciousness writing. And that was illuminating beyond words. So anything can become a ritual. Writing a to-do list can be a ritual if you make it. Um, and I talk a bit about that in the book as well. Uh, spending time really kind of evaluating and making it a very short one, by the way, list-wise, yes. <laughs> which I really appreciated. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you enjoy Beyond the To-Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and am intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, T-H-E-S-H-U-B-O-X dot com to learn more. So single tasking 
is is almost like hand in hand with this ritual. Like I really believe like yes. a ritual is not necessarily a ritual in my mind if you're well I guess this is debatable. Uh, a single tasking thing, for example, I'll, I'll go back to your hanging the clothes on the line. You're not playing music at that time as well or mm-hmm. listening to a podcast. You're fully focused on that one task and fully experiencing that task and all the time that it takes or not. And, and you're, I mean, you're, bas- you're basically fully experiencing that. Yes. So – and this is not something that's easy for us because, for example, like I'll go for a walk, uh, whether it's on the treadmill, at the gym, or it's out around my neighborhood. And often I will say, okay, I'm going to do something else along with this. Now, I, I mm-hmm. cheat. Like I'll either listen to a podcast or I will use my uh, my Bluetooth ear microphone stuff and I will journal while I'm doing that. And there's nothing wrong with that. People out there who do who do multitask. But – there's a benefit there maybe to me just walking and actually savoring the walk and experiencing the walk for the sounds of the neighborhood and the looking at the houses that I'm going by or the fields and slowing down and actually recharging. And that's not to say I wasn't recharging listening to a podcast or journaling. There's benefit there too. But I think when we feel like we have to stack tasks on top of each other to get it all done. Something's wrong. Yeah, exactly. And I think you just nailed it with you that when we feel like we have to, I absolutely multitask. There is no way that I could get through my day without it. <laughs> you know? So I'm by no means expecting that, uh, you know, that if we single task our way through an entire day, that we would somehow manage to, I don't know, find 50 spare hours in a day. Um, I absolutely do. But you're, you're right. It's taking that time intentionally to say, now I'm all into this one thing that I'm doing and everything else can wait. And it is a genuine recharge. And what I find is if I go for a walk or, um, you know, sit, just sit quietly without all the additional stuff coming in, so much starts to come out and to rise up and bubble away in my brain. And I think that if we don't give ourselves those times, those moments of slow, of quiet, of recharge throughout the day, all of the stuff that's kind of just ticking away in our minds never gets the opportunity to be fully thought or to be fully felt or to actually come to to any kind of realisation because there's just constant stimulus coming in. So for me, I, I will often have, um, you know, really solid ideas or come to a, an understanding when I'm going for a walk or when I'm having these moments of single tasking. And I think that is the the power of them. It's giving ourselves permission to not feel like we have to constantly be achieving and kicking big goals and and doing fifteen things at once. Um, and I, yeah, I think I really like the way that you that you framed it. It's not it's not bad. It's not inherently bad. I absolutely go for walks and listen to podcasts or music sometimes um, because that's something I enjoy and I learn from it or I'm enriched by it or it makes me laugh. And I think it's it's also adding to our to our day or removing from our day just a pocket of time where we can do that one thing and feel like we have permission because we do. It's okay to just do one thing. I think this also ties into your practice of emptying your mind because when mm-hmm. we're on information overload and we're stacking all these tasks and again feeling like we have to. Then when we're in those moments like laying in bed or sitting and watching a TV show or a movie to relax, 
or even just daydreaming, but in the good way. And it turns into the bad way where we're thinking about mm-hmm. all the stuff mm-hmm. we've got to do in all those instances. Suddenly it's like, oh gosh, I got to pull my phone out and make sure I do this or take care of that. And then you're back out of uh, relaxing because you still got all this stuff in your head because we've trained ourselves exactly. to do it. Exactly. And you think about, you know, the way we, we operate throughout the day, it is a constant simulation. You know, we are constantly sort of flicking between different screens and different inputs so that when we do quiet down, it doesn't come naturally at all to us to just be. Uh, yeah. So that's where emptying your mind, I think, is is a vital part of it. And I think that's part of the reason that morning pages, the morning pages practice was so uh, instrumental, I think, for me, it was this ritualized emptying of my mind every day, which then allowed me, I guess, to take a mentally, like a mental deep breath and start fresh. And you can see on a piece of paper what had been in there. And I, I, I still do it uh, on any day that I feel overwhelmed or there's a lot of moving parts to my day. I would just sit there with a blank piece of paper for five minutes and brain dump. Literally everything that comes into my mind gets put on that piece of paper. And, you know, you mind map it, you start circling things as they, they keep coming up or whatever it takes to start to, to make sense of that after you've done your brain dump. And a few things, variation of a few things happens. You know, either I'll look at it and I'll think, oh, is that all? You know, that's okay. That's manageable. Let's, let's go. Let's do it. Or a plan comes into, into, uh, into play. You can see that these are the things that need happening and these are the blocks or this is the thing that I've been worrying about or this is the thing that I, I need to sort out for my kids or this is the the phone call I need to make. And it gives you uh, permission to just start somewhere, whereas when it's all in your head, you, it's not necessarily easy to find the starting place. Uh, and for me, everything starts with the first step. It doesn't need to be a grand plan that's spelled out. You know, if you've got a busy day, you don't need to know how your entire day necessarily is going to to pan out. But if you have your first step and you have, you know, the step after that and then the step after that, and for me, emptying your mind absolutely helps in terms of productivity as well. But you're absolutely right. Just, I think, learning to to let go of that constant chatter in a ritualized way then allows us the the uh, the peace that single tasking or meditation or mindfulness or a quiet walk will bring. Otherwise, they they sometimes feel wasted. <laughs> How do you suggest that if somebody's not used to sitting and doing a brain dump and emptying their mind? Uh, how do, how should they start approaching that as an experience or a, I don't know just to start practicing doing that? Mm, I think practicing is the key. You know, you know. Like there's no right or wrong way of doing it. You know, there's no gold medal for brain dumping or, you know, single tasking. It's working in a way that works for you. But for me it was there's a a cathartic kind of um, element to it, I think, by getting a big piece of blank paper and a texter or marker. You guys call them markers, I guess. Um, And just scrolling. Okay, there there we go. (laughs) We're learning. Um, And just scrolling, you know, and and I think that can be – a little scary sometimes and I know that writing morning pages as a as a similar sort of activity can be quite scary because we're faced with thoughts that we've been doing a lot of work to cramp down <laughs> we know if we clamp down we don't want necessarily to face some of these things so I mean go gently with yourself of course and and practice just put yourself 
in front of a blank piece of paper every day for five minutes. And if you can't think of anything else in that five minutes, just keep writing the same things over and over again. And that's what I have always done with my morning pages. You know, I'll write maybe a a page of frantic scrawl and then my, my brain goes quiet for a while and I, I write, I have nothing to write. I have nothing to write. I have nothing to write. And undoubtedly within two or three repetitions of that, something else will come up. And it's just this gradual sifting through the noise and, you know, the, the, the brain rubbish, I think, that we accumulate daily uh, and be patient with it and to be you know, gentle with ourselves as well because it's okay, you know, it's all okay. Whatever you come out with is, is okay. It's not, you're not going to go and read it on TV or anything like that. It's just, it's just for you. It's just a, a practice for you to start giving your, yourself the gift of a bit of peace, I think, yeah, but just turning up every day for a week. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of experimentation rather than going into something with an outcome in mind. So just commit to doing it once a day for a week and see how you feel at the end of the week. I've made so many changes in my life that way rather than, I guess, overanalyzing or worrying that it's not going to be perfect or thinking about the outcome. I think I I switched to thinking about things as an experiment. Uh, That's how I began meditating. That's how, you know, I created a completely screen-free bedroom. That's how, you know, we, uh, I started practicing yoga every day. It was these really small experiments that I attached no preconceived outcome to so that you're free to actually enjoy the process and free to, to go, is it working? Oh, wow, it actually is. Or no, it's not. And this is why. And there's no failure attached to an experiment. You know, there's just curiosity. And I think that that's a really nice place to start as well. I love that you said that and are definitely using the word experiment because it occurred to me when we first started using the word practice a few moments ago that there's actually kind of more than one meaning for that (laughs) word. There's the practice of like putting something into practice, like it's a set thing from this point forward, like a doctor has a practice. Um but then there's also the the more experimental side of it, the practicing to ride your bike or the practicing of, you know, trying something new, of experimenting. So I think we need to approach it from that viewpoint, that perspective when it comes to trying things, experimenting with things, seeing if it makes any difference to mm-hmm. start to, you know, to test the water, if you will. So. Yeah, exactly. I really and like I think that. the only thing you need, the only thing you need when you experiment is a commitment to the experiment. That's it. Mm. You know, you can be you can be skeptical if you want. I mean, it's, I think it's hard to to wholeheartedly do an, a, an experiment like that if you are cynical. But it is <laughs> probably healthy to go into things with a, like a healthy dose of skepticism because you're really going to pay attention for any any outcome, any results, any any anything. Yeah. So I think the only thing you need is is a commitment and keeping it short, like a week is a great place to start. Well, so then there's these other words that I know that have different meanings and you choose one over the other rhythm versus routine. (laughs) So let's get into this. Like I, I actually do prefer the word rhythm as well. That feels more alive. It's, It's less rigid. Routine feels like it's this structure that you can't get out of. Exactly. That's exactly why I choose to use rhythm over routine. It came to me as an idea when, 
our first born, our daughter was a baby. She was maybe six months old. And I was talking to my sister who had five kids at the time um, and is an incredibly competent, even-handed parent. Uh, And I didn't feel either of those things at the time. Uh, And I said to her, you know, she's, she's doing fine, but she's not in a routine. You know, everyone keeps talking about this idea of routine. Uh, you know, she'll wake at this time and then she'll feed and then she'll have a little play and then go down at this time. You know, that's that's not happening. Every day is different. And my sister looked at me and she's like, yep, babies don't really work like that um, necessarily. Well, mine certainly didn't. She said that uh, instead of going for rhythm, like attach a time and rigidity to your flow of the day, go for rhythm. I, I think I said rhythm twice. Uh, instead of touching routine, go for rhythm. That was a light bulb moment for me because I had been rigid about what life looked like. And I mean, obviously, this is now extended beyond babies. To me, this is how I like to structure my day because I still like to know what is happening. I'm not a chaotic person. Uh, I'm not highly rigid, but I'm certainly not chaotic. I don't thrive on, you know, completely letting things just fall where they they will. You like having control, but you don't have to have control and know that that's an illusion to an extent anyway, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I used to be an, a, a control freak, you know, when particularly when we were just learning about parenting and everything that, that changes along with it. I really assumed that if I tried hard enough, I'd still be able to control everything down to the minute, down to what worked for me. And it's been a gradual release of that idea over the last eight years uh, to this point of rhythm. So there is still a sequence to things, you know, and on the face of it, you may you may think that rhythm and routine are the same thing. That's fine. Uh, but for me, it's the subtle differences. Rhythm is there's a, like a musicality to it, obviously, and you can speed it up if you need to and you can slow it down to a pace that works for you. And if you if you miss a step in your rhythm, it's okay. Whereas when I was trying to form this routine to my life, if I missed a step or if I slept in or if I wasn't feeling energetic or whatever it was, if a meeting ran late, I would feel like I was failing because I was always behind. And it was this this race to sort of catch up. And that was really unhelpful for me. It was unhelpful for my like my self-esteem, my feelings of productivity and you know value and all this kind of stuff was tied up in this idea of routine. When I relaxed it and made it my own, uh, and and I think there is a level of organisation to it, but a level of fluidity as well, which I think is really appealing. You know, you you put the work in, you figure out what needs to get done, figure out roughly the order that needs to get done in, and then you let it flow through your morning or your day. And because you've done that work, because you've put in the the steps, because you've you've figured out what is important, it flows really easily, and there's there's a, a gentleness and openness to it that I never had when I was trying to be Captain Routine. Um, and I think it's absolutely individual in, in terms of what works for you. I mean, I have friends who are horrified by the idea of rhythm because they're like, but I have to get up at 5 a.m. and I have to be, you know, at the gym by 5.27. And um, that's fine. It's what, that's what works for, for individual people. But for me, it was just this gentleness, I guess, to the idea of rhythm but also knowing that at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, it all still happens. I think this is very much a, a personality thing too, because I think I agree. Know, for me, like I like having 
well, let me put it this way. My daughter, she's got to, you know, if this happens, then this next thing is the happen thing that happens right after that. And if that doesn't happen, then she's like, but that's what happens next. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. Like, and she's very tense about it. And I am somewhat similar, but at the same time, I don't like when she adds pressure to my life <laughs> because of that. And so I'm switching. I'm, I am, I am experimenting. Let's put it that way. Uh, with liking the idea of rhythm a whole lot more. And, and honestly, when I look at things, like I realize it's just, it, it, it alleviates the pressure. It's, it's saying yeah. here are the, again, here's the essentials. If those got done, fine. Like it, it's mm-hmm. like a, it's like a recipe. We know what the components are, but then you, Suit it to your taste by adding a little less less of this or more of this or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I think the idea of knowing what the essentials are is really important because uh, I think when things go awry, you know, you have a morning where things aren't as they normally would be in an ideal day, which is most days <laughs> for us. Uh, you know, so, so things happen. And if you know what those two or three essentials are and you structure your your morning, your your rhythm around getting those done, then everything else is okay. You know, I think it's it's a certain ability to let go and relax into things that works for me as well with, with this idea of rhythm, you know, you know, the five steps of, of your morning that absolutely have to happen and everything else can kind of shift around as needed. And that's where for me, the flexibility and the fluidity comes without sacrificing, you know, order or, uh, you know, people turning up to school or work on time as well. Um, yeah. So I think that that's that balance, but I agree. It is absolutely a personality thing. Uh, and that's why I don't think there's any right or wrong way of doing it or should or should not way of doing it. What do you think are some of the best components to have as part of our morning or evening rhythms or routines uh, for those of out there that use that word? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's just open it up for everyone. Yes. <laughs> uh, for me, I think one of the most important things, one of the things that we need to include when we're starting to create, and I intentionally encourage people to sit down and, and intentionally create their rhythm and write it out and start to play around with it. It's not necessarily something that you can kind of just luck into. And sometimes little tweaks will make a huge difference to the way things move throughout the morning or the day or the week. Uh, But for me, one of the things I always ask people to to do is to imagine a, like the the perfect, you know, and a quote unquote perfect day, Uh, not a holiday kind of day, not a vacation day, but your perfect work like normal life day and just imagine how that unfolds. And the reality of course is that we don't exist in a vacuum. So that's probably not going to be what it looks like, but what is one thing out of that perfect morning that you know would be good for your soul? Like we were talking about before that you're not currently doing then add that to your morning rhythm or your evening rhythm or your, you know, your weekly rhythm, just make sure there is something in that, that rhythm that works for you and that is going to to refresh you or fill you up. And it can be something really small, like sitting, getting up 10 minutes early and having that cup of tea by yourself in the quiet, reading a couple of pages of book of a book or um, having a bubble bath at night or, you know, taking a 10 minute meditation break or whatever it may be. Uh, and I think that's really important because we, I mean, this is living, you know, like, 
the, the time to have those experiences is every day. We don't sort of get through this busy period of life and then get to the other side and say, oh, this is where we get to now start to have those experiences. We can start adding them into our every day and there's so many benefits to it beyond just that 10 minutes of drinking a tea or, you know, having a bath or taking a walk. Uh, so for me, that's that's vitally important for people to just add that tiny moment of self to their rhythms. Uh, but also, I think a certain level of thinking forward as well, you know, things like getting prepared the night before for the day ahead. Um, and I think those small shifts to how we we create these rhythms can have a huge impact on on the way our days unfold. That's perfect. Uh, by the way, I had to mention this as you were speaking. I felt it was appropriate that there were birds chirping behind you <laughs> that were coming through. So I, I really hope that no amount of audio production like silences those and they stay in the, the mix at the end. So, Brooke, it's been awesome talking with you. Here's the thing. I don't think a lot of my listeners or I well, maybe they do, but a lot of my listeners may not know this, but you talk about all these subjects on a pretty much weekly basis on your own show, which has been the number one iTunes health podcast out there, Slow Your Home. And that's also the, the name of your site, slowyourhome.com. And now you've got this book, Destination Simple, Everyday Rituals for a Slower Life. And believe it or not, we've not ruined the book for you. There's still tons that I've not touched on <laughs> in this book and it's available now. So one, I want everybody to go subscribe to your show. And two, I want everybody to go grab this book because there's an essential need for this kind of change in our lives to be made in this day and age when we are overloaded with information and busyness. And th this is an oasis, I think, for, for people. So... I will link up to all those things in the show notes of this episode. You know, I just, I would really love for people to experiment this week with taking sort of five minutes to do either some kind of single task or something that is good for their soul and just see how they feel at the end of the week. That's all. That's perfect. It's, it's been a pleasure, Eric. Thank you. Brooke, thanks so much for being back on the show. Oh, pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your podcast listening to-do list. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Brooke McCallery and that maybe it freed you up to think about some of your rituals, your routines, some of those things in your life, those rhythms of life that will make you feel a bit more recharged, a bit more sane, a bit more able to cope with wherever you're at and whatever's going on in your life right now. Don't forget you can find her book, Destination Simple, Everyday Rituals for a Slower Life, at the link in the show notes. That's also where you can click the share button to let somebody know about this episode. Do me that favor. If you enjoyed this conversation, if you got something out of it, share it with someone else that you know will get something out of it as well. You can find the show notes over at beyondthetodolist.com or just click that share button in whatever podcast player app of choice you're listening to this on right now. Thanks so much for sharing. Thanks for listening. And I will see you next episode.